Do your due diligence up front and it starts with education. Get yourself educated on whatever you're going to invest in. Start educating yourself and then the devil's in the details. Really look at all the details and all the angles on an investment. And you know, it's, it's tough because you don't want to do paralysis to analysis. I think I've switched that. What's going on guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that helps you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Rick Allen from Paperstack. Today, we're learning about note investing, uh, some of the basics, right? Some of the beginner information. If you want to become the bank as a real estate investor, notes are one of the top options to do so. And we're learning about how to get started as a note investor, where to look, what to look for, how the different setups kind of work. If you're looking for just a straight passive income versus if you're looking to be a little bit more active and maybe earn a little bit more of a return, what some of your options are. All great information here with Rick. It's great talking with him and I learned a lot. I know you will well as well. If you do enjoy the show and you're an Apple Podcast user, please do take a quick second, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, I appreciate that so much because that helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem because they see that you're engaging with the content and learning. And I'll be honest, that helps me feel good because I get to see, I get to see too, just like Apple, that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, look the show up, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I want to thank you for tuning in once again. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I think mortgage notes are a great option for folks to get into real estate investing, but you might not be familiar with them as an option, right? They're not really talked about out there. It's not something you hear about until you kind of get into the real estate investing world. So if you're interested in becoming the bank and earning money by basically becoming a lender, getting on the debt side of the equation, mortgage notes might be the right option for you. Without any further ado, here we go with Rick Allen from Paperstack. Rick, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me, Taylor. Hey, it's been great talking with you so far for about 40 minutes. And you know, I'm sure we're going to have a great time for our, our listeners here. For those out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about your background and, and Paperstack and then we'll get off to it? Sure. You know, first and foremost, I'm a husband and a father, father of three beautiful kids and my beautiful wife who supports me, you know, in everything I've done. Wouldn't be here without her. I'm based in Orlando, Florida, and I've been investing in real estate since 2005. It's when I got my real estate license. I actually got it in 2004. Started with timeshare, but I've been doing distressed assets in real estate. Since then, I sort of made a pivot to buying notes in 2012. March 2012, and kind of went into that full time. And now I currently run founder, co founder, and CEO of Paperstack, which is an online trading platform for people to buy and sell mortgage debt. So it's been, it's been a wild ride, man. It's been a real wild ride. That's great. And, you know, I wanted to talk with you today about note investing as an alternative to, you know, all the, say, dividend stocks or, or anything out there on Wall Street, because I, 
I believe that that notes mortgage note investing is really one of the top options for busy professionals to invest in real estate or real estate you know type assets. So let's break into that, compare and contrast some of those things or some of the the advantages of notes versus stock investing. Sure, I love investing in notes and real estate in general, but notes specifically because it's backed by real estate, right? So there's there's an actual tangible asset there. It's insured. I can have title insurance on it. I can have hazard insurance on it. So if it burns down, at least my money is secured to a certain degree. I love it because it's it can be steady cash flow. And there's multiple, there's multiple exit strategies. There's multiple things I can do with owning debt. I mean, you can get leverage on portfolios, kind of really, no matter what portfolio it is, you can get leverage on them. But Notes offers a a unique way to invest in real estate without having to worry about toilets and sinks and being a a landlord. You can get in there and you can own something, collect the cash flow and liquidate when you need to. So, I mean, there's a, a lot of benefits of it. There's less volatility, I think, in the in the debt space and maybe the the real estate market or the the stock market. We've seen some of the wild things in the stock market where it's for one reason or another, somebody can just pull the ripcord and something just drops. The stock market in general can drop. We saw it happen, you know, last what last February March when with COVID hit, things just just dropped, and so usually. Usually it's just more, the stock market seems to be more volatile. Yeah. And I think most folks aren't aware of notes, even as an option for Mm -hmm. real estate investing. You're telling me before we hit record about kind of when you were getting started as a note investor and, and realizing that, you know, how few people really knew about it back then. And I think it's obviously grown, but that's still the case today for the most part. Most people aren't aware of note investing as a, an alternative to say buying a rental property down the street. No, definitely not. It's still something that's growing. You know, really there were a few people who were buying and selling, there's quite a few people buying and selling seller or uh, seller finance notes, you know, seller carry back owner finance loans in 70s, 80s, 90s. But really when this last downturn happened and you know, when the market crashed in 08, it was Obama made um he made a directive, if you will, that said, look, I'm not going to be the administration that forecloses on America. You need to start offloading your debt to the banks, right? And so they did. The banks started offloading them in large chunks and, you know, selling them to Black, you know, Blackstone, Black, BlackRock, stuff like that. Those large hedge funds who were taking the really the cream of the crop off the top, assets were 300,000 or more. And then they're breaking up the rest of the pools and they're selling them off to small to mid-tier funds. And you ran into a situation, I think, where you had, you know, these mid-tier funds who maybe had two, three hundred, four hundred million dollars that they were kind of overcapitalized, but they had not as much manpower. So you buy, you know, 3,000 assets and you got to, you have to either work them or work on a velocity model and sell them quickly. And so just, you started seeing mortgage notes hit the retail marketplace to where people could buy a note. I didn't even know you could buy a note. I'd heard of it. But I had an REO agent um, call me up who I'd purchased, you know, a dozen houses through and said, hey, do you buy mortgage notes? And I was like, yeah, I'll take a look at it. And so that's kind of where we started our venture. But yeah, not a lot of people know about notes and it's it's getting the space is getting bigger, but still not what it, it, it probably could be. 
Yeah, it's still still for sure a, a niche in the real estate investing space. You mentioned a little bit earlier about multiple exit strategies. And, and mm-hmm. could you tell us about those? Because it seems like the most logical one is just wait for the borrower to pay off the loan, but that might not be the the fastest way to make a return or to make a biggest return or the right fit for somebody out there. So let's cover those exit strategies that are out there. Sure. One of the things about buying notes is it's it's really no different than real estate. You make your money really on the buy when you buy it. So if you buy it right, you buy low, sell high. That's, that's everything, isn't it? Mm, that's sure. investing. You don't want to buy high, sell low, but you make your money on the buy. So if you get into a loan at, at the right price, And that could be for multiple reasons, whether you bought one non-performing and you turned it performing. So if somebody's not paying, it's non-performing. And obviously a non-performing loan, they sell for less than a performing loan. So if you were to buy something non-performing for say 60 cents on the dollar, help out the borrower, get them paying again, you can turn around and resell that after it's been seasoned for six or 12 months for anywhere from 87 to 90 cents on the dollar is what I'm seeing on our platform. And the whole time you're making sort of a monthly, a monthly payment off of them. So you can, that's one exit strategy. Another exit strategy is simply just to buy low and then retrade it immediately for a couple thousand bucks and just focus kind of on a velocity model. Maybe you're working more of a wholesaler type of business model to where you're finding stuff and then going out and reselling it to other investors who don't know where to find product. That's definitely one avenue. And then there's there's some fancy stuff called hypothecation or selling a partial to where you buy a loan. Maybe you bought a performing loan at a really great price and you turn around and you sell just the next 60 payments for a lump sum of money. And then after 60 payments, you start collecting the payments again. So there's, there's tons of different ways you can liquidate the performing side. On the non-performing side, you may have to take a house back through foreclosure. So before you get to foreclosure, you have the option of doing you know a deed in lieu and getting the house back directly with no legal fees. You can offer them a short sale, which is something else. You could offer them a short payoff to say, look, we'll take you owe a hundred, give me 80 and I'll just sign the house over to you. Which surprisingly people have aunts and uncles and moms and dads that they can go, Hey, I can get my house. If you just loan me $80,000 and it happens. There's, if you end up taking the house back, you can resell the house through traditional means on the, the real estate market, you know, through the MLS, through a real realtor, or you can sell it yourself. You can hold financing on it. You can keep it and lease it, rent it, lease options, So there's tons of different exit strategies, really starting from the time you buy it and it's performing or non-performing. And then once you get it into real estate, if if that's your goal, you've got tons of opportunities there and kind of having the knowledge of the note space allows you then to open up a few more options like an owner finance play or a contract for deed or a lease, lease uh, lease option, stuff along those lines. Getting a little fancier there. Now you mentioned you make your money when you buy, which is it's true in most types of real estate, if not all types of real estate. Speaking of the buy, I wonder about how you even get started narrowing down what you're going to invest in. And, and for example, if I know I'm going to go buy an apartment complex, then I'll probably start by finding one, two, maybe three markets that have good dynamics. And I'm going to look for deals there. 
And your the PaperStack platform is very nice. You have a lot of great filters and ways to screen through deals and a lot of awesome information. And I want to commend you, of course, on on that, especially in light of some of the other node investing platforms that have kind of come and gone mm. over the years that some of them, you know, paying me to say this, some of the other ones sounded kind of, seemed kind of fly by night, whereas yours seems, and I'm sure is, legitimate and well thought through and you know all those all those great things but regarding kind of sorting through deciding what you're going to buy maybe where you're going to buy because there's 50 states out there how do you even get started in that i mean it all it starts with one knowing what do you what are you in this for are you in this for like the passive wealth are you looking for performing loans or non-performing loans that's what i always tell people like look you have to know like what's my goal is my investment goal to get a property back or is my investment goal to you know, invest some of my dollars, some of my little soldiers and have them out there just earning me my income or earning you know, my passive, my mailbox money, as Eddie would say. So you have to establish the goal. Then you want to look at you know, the markets thing is a great option. It's something I tell people that, look, you want to make sure that you're investing in areas you're comfortable with. It always helps having boots on the ground, but you have to go through and maybe look at there's some other things you need to look at when you're investing in notes like licensing. Are there certain states that are going to require me to hold like a, a mortgage debt collector's license? Georgia is one of them. You know, you need to have a certain license to, to own debt in Georgia if you meet a certain threshold. Like if you're investing with a comp within a company or you're investing more than four or five notes and don't quote me on the laws there, but there's just there's different requirements in different states. Some states are just like, you know, you can own, you can invest in mortgage debt. So you want to know the licensing laws, but, and then sourcing inventory. It's, you know, kind of, that's one of the nice things about PaperStack. There's a couple, a couple about it. But one is that you can, you can go look at inventory for free, right? It's free to sign up. You don't pay for our fee, our services until you buy a, buy an actual note. And then, you know, the second thing is if it's your first time buying a note, PaperStack has an automated to-do list that allows you to check every step along the way. So you can't go from like step one to step four without doing steps two and steps three. And it makes it to where somebody who's never bought a loan can do a transaction with somebody who works for a bank and they can get through the transaction without missing a step and be comfortable. And so it's, it makes it very easy for first-time users or first-time buyers. Nice. That that's definitely very helpful because it's in any type of investing you need a roadmap to at least get started till you learn the ro the ropes and all of that. Regarding the the licensing and all of that, obviously, yeah, we're we're not telling people what the laws are or anything like that here. But like, where can you start to figure that out? Is that is there a repository online for that information? You have to go to each state and ask. No, <laughs> we have some stuff in our in our knowledge base. We because of the sensitivity of it, like we can't put out there a, a spreadsheet one day that says, well, you have to be licensed in this place and not licensed in that place. The easiest thing, you know, because it, A, it could change. And then if I tell somebody you don't need to be licensed, you need to be licensed, they're coming back to me. So we don't put a lot of stuff in there. We just kind of recommend folks like, look, go check with an attorney. And that's the safest, the safest thing to do. You know, when we started buying loans, I started buying loans in Florida because I live in Florida. It's actually in Orlando because we lived in Orlando. You know, we bought in our own backyard because I came from the real estate space. I wanted to be able to go see it and touch it and turn the doorknobs and look at my investment. So naturally I had attorneys here and asked them like, where can we buy? What can we do? I would just say, just go, if, you're, if you have an area you'd like to buy in, you got to check with the attorneys. 
Google is a great place to start as well. You know, you want to check on Google and get some education. There's, there's educators out there. I mentioned I went to, you know, Note School and Eddie Speed, Kevin Shortell, who actually taught me a lot. He used to work for Note School. He's got his own education, ProSpeak Productions or something along those lines. Real Estate Without Renters. If you, if you Google Real Estate Without Renters, you'll find Kevin Shortell. And they'll be able to kind of guide you. And they're much more up to date on like, look, hey, you can buy here, you can't buy there. Okay, that's that's definitely good to know. Now, in any real estate investing venture, it's the it's the passive wealth strategy show, right? We're mm-hmm. we're here to make it as passive passive as possible. Of course, there's going to be some level of time investment, but one of the main reasons I recommend away from fro- folks just buying a single family and managing your own property and all of that is because of the uh, amount of time invested. You know, you're going to spend a lot of time to make not a lot of money. Whereas with notes, I think there. are a lot of options to reduce the amount of time you're spending on your investments. But can you tell us about the average, say, time investment once you start looking for notes, buy one, own it? How can you really reduce that time, especially you know, working with your servicer to set a strategy and, and all of that? I think that's the key. As much as you make your money on the buy, the devil's in the details. If you, if you look at something, the due diligence is the most important thing when you buy a loan right? You want to look at the due diligence and that's the payment history and the servicing notes really to find out what's the story behind the loan. If you do the work up front and if you're looking for passive investments, then you're going to be probably investing in performing loans, right? Non-performing tend to be a little more labor intensive and they're non-performing. So it's kind of counterintuitive to say that's a pat. That's definitely not passive wealth. Building. <laughs> uh, though it, it can be, it can be really good returns. My, I'll talk about my favorite investment later on, I guess. But if you do the due diligence up front and you're buying performing loans, having a professional loan servicer is the way to go because they're going to handle everything for you. Literally, you can do nothing and just they'll send you money on the, you know, the 10th of every month after they, they pay their, make their mortgage payment on the 1st or somewhere along those lines. And you just, you just collect the money. So, I mean, you can be talking a half hour a month. <laughs> I mean, or no time a month. It just depends on what kind of bookkeeping you're doing. But I mean, you can literally have nothing to do on these loans and they just keep getting paid. And then if there is something to do, the servicer is usually sending you an email saying, hey, the borrower missed this payment or they paid extra or something along those lines, more of just keeping you informed. Nice. I do wonder about how significant of a time difference it is between performing and non-performing because theoretically as someone who's never done this before uh, in this note space you know okay performing the the servicers doing everything collecting the money sending me a report that's all it is with non-performing i'm kind of setting a strategy and asking the uh, servicer to say to maybe extend these offers to the borrower or something like that are we talking about half an hour a month per note on the performing side and 20 hours a month on the non, non-performing non side, or is it close to that half hour? I know this is all relative, right? Yeah. Every situation is going to be different, but really in general, how big of a difference are we talking between? It's not a terribly big difference. I mean, you, you're not do, 20 hours a month on a single non-performing loan. It's not a lot. It's more of the mental bandwidth that it starts taking out. So, you know, it's like, Hey, I can take one ball and throw it in the air, but when I got seven balls in the air, then it just, it's a compounding thing, right? And attorneys, like, so servicers are great on performing stuff. The services you you receive, they tend to fall off 
when they go to non-performing, right? And so you have to constantly be on your servicers and making sure that they're chasing after your attorneys or you have to be chasing after your attorney to make sure they're hitting your your deadlines. You get the right attorney, you get the right servicer, it makes all the difference in the world because they're going to do their job and you know, they tend to I tend to work with like one or two attorneys per state. People that I know like look, I've got relationships, I've done more than one deal with them. I've talked to them on the phone a lot to start with and say, "Look, this is what I'm looking for." You know, and it's not as much of an issue now, but prior to this, you had foreclosure mills. Right. And so you were just a number and you were a file onto under a, an attorney who had a stack of files. It was 300 deep. If they tried to call you and couldn't get a hold of you, your file went to the bottom <laughs> and it may have fallen behind the desk and they don't see it. You know, it's just one of those things. So I think that was kind of a long answer to is it that much different? No, it's not. You know, if you're doing a half an hour a month and it's not even a half hour a month, I mean, could, we're talking maybe 10 minutes on a performing loan. It's, it doesn't take you long to respond to an email. And if it's truly performing, it's nothing. But on a non-performing loan, it may take you five or six hours of mental bandwidth and emailing and talking on the phone, maybe not even that much. So it's, it's not significantly different. It's just understanding that I can manage 40 performing loans far easier than I can 40 non-performing loans. Because at 40 non-performing loans, it's just, there's a lot of work. Fair enough. Fair enough. And the, so the, what exactly, what tasks fall under the heading of the attorney versus the servicing company? I mean, I'm sure that's a huge list, but this is the first time we brought up an attorney in the context of this conversation. So I want to make sure we define those roles a little bit. So the attorney is obviously they're in charge of anything that's happening with the courts. So they're in charge of filing the, you know, the complaint, they're in charge of service or serving the borrowers. Really the, the servicer is in charge of corresponding with borrowers, sending out the letters of, you know, notice of default, the servicer will work with the attorney on that, but kind of staying, keeping you in compliance, right? And then most servicers are supposed to work on your behalf with the attorney, with the attorney. So the servicer would be your mouthpiece. But, you know, if you're an asset manager and you've got 10 clients and each client's got 10 foreclosures, then, you know, things can fall through the cracks and they don't, they're not able to, keep on top of everything. And it's not their money, it's your money, right? So I find that usually investors who've got their own money are, are far more, they're paying attention to what's going on. That makes sense. And and you as the investor need to kind of be the, the squeaky wheel that gets mm -hmm. the grease with the, the servicer. That's exactly right. And that's, we actually had a, something we did called operation squeaky wheel in our office <laughs> that, that we did. And it was, it's how we, what we set up to like workflows to keep pinging our servicer. So it's like, Hey, we're not going away. We are an active, we're actively managing this investment. Nice. Nice. Is that through like a, a CRM type of tool or something? Yeah. Internal stuff. Yeah. Through CRM Podio is something we use just internal stuff, admin. Nice. Well, Podio has a, a ton of customization options. So yeah, there are a lot of, a uh, lot of ways to adapt that to any business. So yeah, nice. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk 
because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called ground floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Rick, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I mean, I would say my real estate license, but that I would qualify that falls under the education side to get it. I mean, the best, I think the best investment, the one I'm really most proud of is actually a deal that we did because it was looking at the details. We bought something at what was perceived as close to the balance owed to us. And I saw that the through looking through the payment history and the um, servicing notes that the borrower actually wanted to sign the house over. And so we paid, I think it was like 35 grand for it and ended up selling it for 90 grand. 60 days later, as is after the borrower just signed the house right over to us. And so that was like, that was probably my biggest home run in the shortest amount of time, you know, just to do it like that. And that's just because it was, you know, paying attention to the details that everybody overlooked for it sat on paper stack for three months and nobody offered on it. And I was like, what's going on with this? I looked at it. I was like, Oh, this is like a good deal. And you know, when I looked at it and we, I mean, I would say we gave it away at 90 grand, but we could have held out and probably sold it for another, you know, maybe for 110. but it was just, we had a cash offer and so we're like, you know, take it. Nice. Nice. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst, worst investment you ever made? The worst investment was one in Louisville, Kentucky. And it was, it's a huge house. There was already judgment entered, right? So it was like, it was supposed to be a slam dunk deal. Like, look, judgments entered. Judgment was like, I think 270, 290. We got into it for 225. And this borrower tied us up for like three years in uh, bankruptcies and just kept filing bankruptcy and then letting it expire. And my attorney dropped the ball and then it was fired another bankruptcy. There's only a certain number you can file in a given time period. And this guy was a professional because he would run it out to the very end and then and wait. And just all you needed was your attorney not to be on top of it. So it got us. And that one, that one was just awful. That one was awful. It was just, it was a time suck. Mm. Did you end up at least being in the black on that one or? We did. We did. We, we ended up being in the black, but it was one of those things where the amount of money we had to start putting into it. Um, and the house sat vacant for three years. It was a big, it was a 4,000 square foot house on, you know, two acres in a gated community. It was just, it was a home run. It was good. It was, it was going to be a home run deal, but by the time we got to it and actually got our hands on it, it was just, 
it, it, we had, we had put too much money in there and the taxes, you know, expense, nice houses have high, high taxes, <laughs> high taxes true. cost you can eat up a deal. And then when you get somebody who doesn't really pay attention or who does it, who files bankruptcy, the bankruptcy attorneys, we spent a lot on legal fees on that one. And then, you know, there was electrical problems, roof problems, settlement problems. So it is what it is. You kind of get stuck sometimes. It's, that's the nature of the game. Sometimes it's going to happen. Those guys that have the higher end houses, they have higher end client, uh, borrowers in there. And usually they have higher end attorneys and they're a little bit more savvy. That's true. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Uh, devil's in the details, right? So do your due diligence up front, and it starts with education. Get yourself educated on whatever you're going to invest in. Start educating yourself, and then the devil's in the details. Really look at all the details and all the angles on an investment. And you know it's it's tough because you don't want to do paralysis to analysis, but be pretty confident with what you're doing. And then when you're ready to go, pull the trigger and move forward full speed ahead. Nice. Nice. I love that. And Rick, thank you for joining us today, teaching us about note investing, some of the beginner basics, and then getting a little bit more advanced here. If folks want to reach out, they want to find you on the internet, they want to get to get to your platform or anything like that, where can they find you? Uh, platform is paperstack.com. No K. So P-A-P-E-R-S-T-A-C.com. And then, you know, you can, if you Google Paperstack, We've got a, a YouTube channel. We've also got a podcast that we we do just basic note investing stuff and advanced stuff. We have full length episodes that are, you know, 35 to 40 minutes. And then we have what we call paper stack snackables or paper snacks, in which we do like little five, 10, 10 minute little, you know, little snacks, digestible tidbits of information that'll help you in your note investing. We're starting to touch on some real estate stuff too, because I have a pretty good background in that. And then if, you know, hello at Paperstack is a great way to reach out to us. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. I really like your YouTube channel. There's a lot of great note investing information on there. I definitely recommend folks check that out and your podcast. Watch a few of the YouTube videos myself and uh, great stuff. Great stuff. And thanks once again for joining us to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always real with you guys. That helps me feel good because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone else who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.